Hello, and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez, and today we're going to start a series that I call, Let's Meet the Board of Directors. So the ESA has a board of directors, and we're kind of a working board. Uh, if you're familiar with board stuff, that means something to you. If you're not, don't worry about it. It means that we're all actively engaged, and we, we try to move the mission of the ESA forward. And today we're going to talk with Kurt Miner. He is the Managing Director for Risk Management for Entertainment for Allianz Insurance, and he has a really exciting background, and I would like to welcome Kurt Miner to the pod. Let's get to know you. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So first of all, you've been on the board of directors for coming up a year, a year this week. Congratulations on your one-year anniversary. Hey, thanks. <laughs> so- so I wanted to start at the beginning of your ESA thing. Why did you decide to join the board of directors? Well, I think it was kind of a natural progression. I was kind of on the uh, on the very incipient stages of of the ESA's uh, creation, basically, and um, I was one of the original persons that that it was pitched to when ESA was first being created. Uh, Got almost. 10 years ago, I think it was. Yes, so, this is our 10 year anniversary. Yeah, exactly. So I was, I had the privilege of being in on those original pitch pieces that, um, that was presented to at that time, Fireman's Fund Insurance to be a part of, uh, to be a part of the ESA. And at that time we were all really excited about it uh, because we thought it was a really, uh, a great addition to the, the live space that needed to happen. And uh, so, yeah, I was part of that original that original group that was able to to establish funding uh, for for the ESA to launch. And uh, so, again, being part of the board now, it's just been it's been great. I've been a part of the ESA, obviously, for the last 10 years. And now being part of the board uh, is really been an honor and it's a privilege. So I'm excited to, to serve. So I want to go back to something you said there, you know, you were there at or near the beginning and you thought it was important. So, you know, we have listeners from, from all different aspects of live events. Um, you know, obviously we started with uh, basically big touring rock and roll, but now we encompass everyone um, from the smallest thing inside to the biggest thing outside uh, life safety at, at all events. Um when you were talking about that change that was needed, uh, did you envision where we would end up today? Yeah, I mean, I think that was part of the vision. I think we've all come from different backgrounds of safety and whether it's in live entertainment and film, uh, that we've, we see the need for some of these organizations to get, gather people together to have that, um, that platform to, to talk to each other and I think that, again, we were all really excited about it years ago that someone was taking, because that's always it. Everything is great when you talk about it. But as we know, it's a time involvement. So yeah, uh, someone has to do it. Yeah, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to start it because we can all brainstorm with some great ideas. But then that takes time and energy, which sometimes people don't have that investment to do because of, you know, they have to make a living. And so I think we were really excited that someone was was excited and passionate about it like Jim was. And uh, we were excited to be able to get behind them. And if we could, you know, give them some funding, that's then 
we're kind of off to the races, right? That that means that now someone has to has to take the time and has to go mm-hmm. go as there's been an investment made. So yep. um, I, I think the the vision was there. I think because all of us have come from a lot of different backgrounds, and um, I think we've always looked to anything that we do to do it on a grand scale, right? And so <laughs> the more that we could, the more the better. <laughs> the more. The so I don't want to say that we didn't envision it as it is. I would yeah. say that we kind of did actually and said that if we all really work on this and get the proper people in place and, and funding is always a big one, then then it could be, you know, what it is. And I think it's great that it is where it's at. And I think we're still moving to become larger and better. I think that's the, you know, that's the goal of everyone's, you know, uh, dream, I think, is to keep keep perpetuating this to get it an industry standard. So I, I know that initial uh, infusion of, of money helped create the first event safety guide. And we are, we're working on version two. You know, we've just kicked off that process of, of a new version of the event safety guide updated for today. Uh, so when you said that, you know, people came from all different backgrounds, that is so true. I do see a lot of people that do live events and people that do safety have a, an interesting sort of Venn diagram um, of, of some overlap. Uh, I, I know from previous conversations that you used to be a firefighter. I did. So does, does that experience inform not just your work with ESA, but your work with all of your risk management? It does. You know, I started off at Universal studios in the safety department back Ooh. you know 30 yeah 30 really so, tell me yeah. more about that because that sounds like it is full of full of interesting risk management okay. stories and that's i'm old so it was back in like murder she wrote and quantum leap days if those remember that back in uh, coach those shows those were all the shows we did back in you know a long time ago so i started off in that safety department there um, and that was great. I gained a lot of experience in the entertainment and film. And you know not to live in a small town in Maine. Yeah, right. right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Some people get that. The rest of you, don't, you weren't alive. So go on. Uh. <laughs> yeah, then there I transitioned. You know, I was, I was fortunate to get hired by LA County Fire Department. And uh, um, yeah, so I went on as a firefighter and still worked in, in entertainment and live for the 20 years that I was there. And then after my service there, I actually uh, was injured. And then I came back to, uh, to, to live entertainment and to film and television. And so I've just been lucky to have my, you know, the people that I hired back at Universal, you know, I hired a bunch of people back 30 years ago and uh, 20 to 30 years later, they were all in charge of all the departments and had worked there for a long time. So when I kind of came back, I worked uh, with those persons and I was fortunate enough to kind of get back into, even though I had my feet in the industry the whole time I was a fireman, I still, I still, what they call, you know, a lot of firemen have additional, additional jobs outside. That was mine. So I still did safety outside of the fire department, but anyway, yeah. So, so yeah, I use those things still um, with life safety and have the fortunate, you know, I was trained and educated through that, the fire department system. So being familiar with all the NFPA and OSHA regulations and, and then obviously medical and, and those things. And uh, I'm also a helicopter pilot. So those things uh, have really enhanced my ability to, to do what I'm doing now. So very, very blessed. So, so are you a checklist person? 
Those all sound like check checklist sort of. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I I I am. Um, you know, I've created a program that I can send people out, even on live events, to where they may not have had a lot of experience. And I've created a crazy checklist of they check just about you know looking under rocks even you know I think that's one of our checklists things. But I, I'm kidding. But uh, we've created <laughs> checklists for people to go out that may not have a lot of experience but I'm able to put them out into the field and, um, and have them go through those lists just because some people may not be familiar with those things. We're trying to employ more people to be out on our live events, for example, that, that don't have to necessarily work for a company. They could be persons that are already working in production and we can kind of basically kind of cross train them to go out there because they might not have the budget to hire an outside entity but we still want to see if we can, you know, make their events safer. So we've created these programs to be able to um, put people out there that that they can go through checklists and and check those things for us. Yep. One of the things I love about a checklist is, it, at least a good one, is that if you reach one point on there and you don't understand it, it's an easy thing to say, I don't understand this one point, as opposed to not knowing that the thing existed in the first place as if you were going to really look under rocks. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, why am I looking under rocks? And there's a great opportunity there, I think. Yeah, it's true. I think that, I mean, again, I've been doing this a long time and I still learn stuff every day and I'm glad, I'm glad for it. And I think that if I didn't have mentors or checklists or those things, then, you know, you wouldn't become, you know, educated and be able to find those things. Because again, on live events, film and television, they are doing new things every day. And they get, as they get more creative, you know, additional risks come into place that we need to be able to look at and make sure it's being done in a proper manner, not only aligned with safety, but aligned with local ordinances and local authorities, because some people have a great creative mind, but then they're not, they're not, uh, always looking to see if it's in line with local laws, ordinances, and and you know safety as well. Oh, what a fantastic point! And it's nice to have that balance between someone who knows what those parameters are and find a way to mesh that with the artistic vision, be it in in film, TV, any type of live event. You know, I can I know that sometimes I'll see stuff like that in in sponsorship activations where there's a there's an artistic vision that is um constrained is the wrong word but in some way shaped by the logistics of the space um so it's nice to to have someone that, that helps balance out those two uh sides so as you said you've been doing this for a while and you had the opportunity to work with a group of people and then leave and then come back to them have you um seen evidence of 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 culture change of specifically safety culture change in those particular uh situations or is it about the yeah. same no i think i think we have i mean again the, the fortunate part that i have is working on the insurance side of things i've worked a lot with the promoters and i know i have the opportunity to go to many live events and uh i mean i was just at one last weekend and you know, I have them inviting us back, which is great because we help them make their events, you know, uh, more more productive. Sometimes we can save them money, which obviously they like. 
it's yeah, more who doesn't like that? <laughs> yeah. It, um, you know, just because they might run one event a year and we go to 40 of them. And so we're able to say, hey, move your porta potties over there. It's more efficient to service them that way. And it's out of the crowd areas and, uh, you know, change this or move these things around. And, and we're also there to protect their brand, you know, for reputational risk, because we don't want their brand to be damaged as well, because if they're not successful, then, then we're not successful. Right. And in a number of ways, not only financial, but again, um, having them uh, be safe. And, and as if people get injured on their sites, then that's a bad reputational risk for them. So um, we're lucky to be uh, again, invited back. And I have, certain promoters that will call me in advance you're coming to my festival right we want you to be here because we we kind of make a report and, and um and then we we they can take those things and make those improvements not for maybe this exact this year but for their next year's events and then they really they really value that input and uh and we obviously take the advantage of of looking at those things for a life safety perspective as well i have to imagine that your background um, in movies and the fire department in insurance gives you like the perfect combination for a, a site visit. So what are some, some common hazards that you are specifically looking for when you go to um, a concert site? Let's, let's not go festival because that adds camping and that's complicated and not everybody gets to play in those fields, uh, but outdoor concert, what, what are, what hazards are you looking for that you can either address in real time or address with them for next time so that they can improve? Cause we're always looking to do it better. Yeah. I mean, we're always looking at crowd control. I mean, that's a, that's a large one right now, which we're all focusing on is how crowds movements and how we, how we're able to compartmentalize or segregate them into certain areas. So, so crowd management, uh, Correct. in terms of how, how people are moving and using the space is one yeah. thing. No, oh, and we, you know, part of that is, you know, psychology. It's always been my, my mindset that, you know, you have to know your crowds, right? I mean, it used to be that if you went to um, some older venues that, um, you know, like, some 80s rock bands or whatever, I've had people go, oh, well, that's kind of crazy. You know, um, those guys are typically old punk rock bands. Like I'm an old, I'm an old punk rocker. So, um, you know, but I'm old now. So I know, you know, how many beers I can drink and, and <laughs> I'm fine. But now the younger crowds and people will say, oh, well, the younger crowds are fine. You know, they're young kids. It's like, well, not really because they're, they're still experienced in experimenting with with drugs and alcohol unfortunately and they may not know their limits of what they are they're experimenting with those things so and they lost a couple of years of that with covid yeah and so we you kind of just have to know your crowds and what you're doing and 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 how they move and what they do and where they go and so it's also you know a big psychological uh dive that i do just what our crowds are doing and how they do it and and where they go so there's i look at those things on every venue that we go to whether it's you know, a concert, whether it's a, a festival or whatever. Uh, and then we look at this, the regular, you know, obviously the stages and how they're constructed, how much, how much uh, equipment's being hung on the grid. And was it, you know, was it rated for those things? And how many, how many uh, uh, acts are, are coming on? Because sometimes they will hang 
three acts of equipment up on the grid and they, it was, wasn't rated for those things. So we'll look at engineering and the equipment that's put up there. Again, egress ways are always a big, uh, you know, a, 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 an obvious one. Um, but, and then, we'll look, you know, I'm always really big on medical response um, just because that's something we can prepare for. You know, we, unfortunately, we can't prepare for some of the tragedies that have happened you know, you know, in the last few years, but we can prepare for the response. And so in the planning stages, I'm always, you know, really cognizant of the fact of how are we going to react when something bad happens? Because unfortunately, bad things are going to happen and you can't always prepare for everything, but you can prepare for the, for the medical response to, to those things to have adequate responses. Now that factors into budgets sometimes when you have multiple, you know, agencies on, you know, on hand, whether it be ambulance companies or local authorities or private companies, then that gets into budgets. But then some of that all ties back into reputational risk, as we've seen. So you don't want to be on the, on the bad end of planning where something unfortunate happens and you weren't prepared for that. And that comes back to look bad on, on your venue site, whether it be a performer, whether it be an actual festival with that, that brand name that's now can be damaged. Yeah. There's a lot there. Definitely preparing for as much as you can, that you can preparing to the, at least to the level you can afford. This is one of the things I heard you say where we've just, just past the five-year anniversary um, for the Route 91 Harvest Festival shooting at in uh, Las Vegas, um, and it's it's sobering to to sort of reflect on that event and how how awful it was, and and um, but it was one that was harder to prepare for than some of the other some of the other scenarios, such as managing your ingress and your egress in, in normal operations. Um, in the past, I don't know, six months, we've had some pretty uh, tragic crowd surge asphyxiation, uh, one of which happened over the weekend um, at, a, at a soccer game in Indonesia. I always look back at those big things as lessons to, you know, what lessons can we learn from that? it's hard to predict those huge outliers. It is much easier to predict that if you put the exhaust from the generator pointing the wrong direction, you're going to have potentially carbon monoxide filling up a tent, you know, and, and those sort of lower level safety hazards, um, you know, are we hanging too much from the roof structure? The, those sorts of things. Um, not that we shouldn't also try to address those those larger things, but some of them are harder to predict and harder to manage. I'm going to put a button in that. Might come back to a piece of that later. I want to go back to the beginning you, you were talking about crowd control. Um, one of the things we saw, and uh, in general, we're not going to speak great deal about who caused what um, with recent events because it is far too soon to have any definite uh, understanding. But at the football game in Indonesia this past weekend there were i believe there were police officers they're at least reported to be police officers in riot gear reportedly using tear gas on the pitch of the field uh, i'm not 
great at sports terms. So if I get something wrong here, guys, I apologize. Um, you know, and that is a level of crowd control that we don't normally see at live events. And is my understanding is is against the rules of of FIFA, which is the International Soccer Association. Um, where would you recommend people go to for guidance on better ways or just different ways to manage crowd surges? Well, I think, again, I think what we need to focus on a little bit more is crowd psychology. Because, again, we do get into crowd management a lot, which mm-hmm. is great. We do need to manage people when they're on the ground. But I think if we can study our crowds a little bit more and the example that you use, you know, you know, the mentality of some of those crowds can be pretty aggressive, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, how that's managed, you know, can, you know, uh, whether it's managed in certain ways that that ended up being tragic, um, you know, obviously we need to study that. But if it didn't turn tragic and what if that technique worked, then we would say, hey, you know what, that's a new way to manage crowds. But so it's it's hard to say when when something and, and to be clear, we don't know what caused the tragedy, but there was significant right. loss of life there, and obviously it was a, a very disturbing situation. Yeah, and that's my point. Is unfortunately we don't know. You know, even with past events, we don't always know exactly what happened. And mm-hmm. you know, like I always say, unfortunately in this world right now, we still hire humans, and so um, you know. Uh, it's left to interpretation of what someone's perception of it was at that moment and at that time. And, and then we are left with going back and studying what did happen and how can we change that and what could we have done different, you know? Uh, and that's what we're always left with after these unfortunate tragedies, right? So, and we always go back and say, what, what can we learn from that? But, I, you know, uh, Unfortunately, but we also have to try to be on the front end of those and how can we prevent those? And mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's challenging. That's what we all want to do. Um, but then these events happen and then we have to kind of, un, you know, come from, unroll it from the back, unfortunately. But um, I think that if we, if we did study crowds a little bit more, instead of just crowd control and management on the ground, I mean, that's part of it. We need to go back and look and see, you know, why did these things happen and what, you know, what was the mentality at that time? Was the crowd aggravated? You know, um, you know, I know during some of the COVID times, it was really challenging because they had, they were checking, you know, not only people's persons, but they were checking, you know, um, their credentials as well as their uh, vaccination status. And people were showing up, you know, an hour and a half to two hours before a show and they still were not getting in on time. And, you know, so that causes a problem. I mean, you know, I've been to a show before where that's happened and I was anxious. I wanted to get in and I saw this huge line in front of me going, man, I'm going to miss the first, you know, quarter or half of the show just because mm-hmm. and that's very anxiety producing. So, you know, that's something that, you know, could be managed maybe on the front end to avoid um, the psychological part of, creating that creating that angst before you come into a, a show or a venue and how that's done you know we're all learning and we're all studying that and we're all trying to figure out better ways of 
of that of managing those crowds. But I think that if we learn on the front end a little bit more um, of how to manage crowds, and I know, and we are doing that, and I know ESA, we are we are actively doing that. We are actively we are doing that. <laughs> totally have been, and we have been doing that, and it's nothing that's you know that's that new. I mean, we have some great instructors that 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 instruct on just these very things. But um, unfortunately, we have to kind of go back and learn from them. Um, but if we can, you know, proactively, I think that would be, you know, obviously the best angle to, but again, risk management is really hard because it's hard to quantify. So, you know, when, when something does not happen, people say, hey, look, nothing happened. We don't need safety and we don't need risk managers because everything was fine because it's hard to quantify at the back end saying, well, that's because it was well-managed and it was done properly. And that's always been the problem with safety and risk management is, you know, is. Yeah. You're trying nothing... to prove, you're trying to prove the yeah. negative. <laughs> exactly. Well, my challenge over 30 something years is trying to add the value. And, um, and then, like I said, productions again, well, Hey, nothing's happened here for years. So we probably don't need you guys anymore. And, that's that's always been a challenge. Yeah, I, I think things like that. And then I go out on my own personal, not my personal stage, but the stage that I manage. And I go, hey, guys, the cables are not taped down right here. And I'm going to trip on them. Please fix that. And I'm like, all right, that's that's, that's why I'm still, still doing this. Make sure there aren't really obvious trip hazards around. Right. Uh, <laughs> One of the the joys of working at a college is that they're always new. You, you always have new people learning the the craft, so you're always teaching the basics. Um, so, was there a specific? You know, people tend to get into safety for different reasons. Is there a specific experience or show experience in your life that led you down this particular path? Not specifically. Um, you know, I just, I've always was kind of like the, uh, you know, even with my friends when they would be jumping off of bridges somewhere, I'd always be the guy saying, Hey guys, this is probably not, you know, not the smartest. Shouldn't be, you shouldn't be doing this. And, um, and then my friends would jump and one of them would get hurt. And then I would render aid. That's why. <laughs> right? so, you, you are naturally a, a helper. <laughs> I actually was always kind of the guy saying, I don't know, guys, this doesn't look like this is that smart, you know, and um, I was always riding my bike kind of in the back going, all right, these guys are doing stupid things. So I don't think I have anything specifically, um, but uh, I did like, I, I really enjoyed helping people. I think that, you know, when I would come up on a situation that I, I was there to help. I wasn't there that I caused anything. I was there to, to help. So um, I didn't really have anything real, uh, one specific uh, event, but I just know that growing up, I was always kind of looking to, you know, whether it was my friends getting bullied by somebody, I would step in and, you know, I had some friends that were handicapped and um, they were getting bullied back. You know, that was the days when bullies were allowed to be bullies. Right. And I would step in and say, you know, you're not, don't, don't do those things. So um, I think those were specific events that kind of shaped the trajectory of what I wanted to do. Yeah. It's interesting. A bunch of my friends that are either in law enforcement or fire services have very similar takes on it. They, they really want to help people. So I find that heartwarming. 
So thank wow. you for thank you for doing that. Um, so when you talk about risk management, so obviously when you were a kid, you're like it. You're going to be at the back of the pack so that you can react if one of the people who are not are living much more in the moment, uh, you can render aid. Um, when you are doing risk management now, obviously your role is, is quite different. Um, how do you see yourself in that? Are you still looking at it from, from afar? Are you more hands on? What, how would you tell me more? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's both. I mean, every situation is, is different. You know, um, whether you're on a committee, sometimes you lead from afar and you look back and you're here to interject where you need to be. And if you're out in the field on the ground and everybody's looking to you for an answer, um, then you're 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 out there leading leading the pack. Right. Because they're looking for you. I know we talked off air about about covid stuff a little bit and. Mm -hmm. You know, doing some of the COVID things this last couple of years, I've, I've been involved with another entity and uh, we've had the opportunity to do some COVID things. It's been funny because I remember being on one of the couple first sets that were back on COVID and this was brand new. No one's ever done anything before. And I literally get out of the, my car and there's, you know, 10 people gathered around me with masks. And all I can see is their eyes with a pad of paper ready for me to like, you know, dispel the next book of the Bible out of my mouth, <laughs> whatever I'm going to say. And I'm like, guys, this is all brand new. This is new. No one's ever done this before, but they're ready for an expert to tell them exactly where they're to go, what they're to do. How do you eat? Where are we going to put people and all the things that we're all doing now in the COVID world, but that was all brand new, you know, almost yep. three years. And um, so again, you, you, a lot of people wilted at that time because they weren't ready for those questions. And uh, so we had to kind of stand on the ground and go, okay, um, I, I, we're going to have to kind of make this stuff up and make some educated and common sense decisions right here. So I think a lot of that happens, you know, in our world, whether you're out on, you know, out in the field going, okay, I've never seen this before. You know, uh, common sense tells me that this is not safe or we can make this, you know, uh, more tolerable by changing a few of these things. So, but again, like I said, then if you're on a big committee where you have a lot of experts, it's time to sit back and, you know, and, and learn, you know, it used to be, you know, sit back and don't open your mouth to be the fool, right? You, and uh, instead of opening your mouth and remove all doubt, you know, that was the thing. <laughs> um, you know, you, you need to be educated and listen to people that you're experts. And I've, I've always done that. I've always sat back and listened to people because I can, I've learned a lot from, from just listening other than being out there thinking that I know everything. So I think there's, there's, there's a big dichotomy to, to, to learning from both of those angles and kind of knowing your role at the time of what you're supposed to be doing. So I, I love how you set that up for me coming back to the ESA. What do you see your role as there? Yeah, I think, it, like I said, I'm honored. It's a great opportunity for me. And sometimes I feel like I should be, you know, a little bit more verbal on certain things. But again, there's so many great experts that I've learned so much from over the years that, again, I feel that um, I can learn a lot from them 
too. I have learned a lot from them. And now being on the board, I know that it's a little bit more of a leadership role. And I've tried to, you know, step into where I feel that some of my stronger suits are, where um, I can I can uh, ha- make a difference and have input. Um, and I'm still learning how to how to do that too, because again, I've always been on both sides of those those things where you're looked at to be the expert. And then you're also in a panel to be looked at as, you know, collectively giving information with a group of people. And uh, so it's exciting. It's a great, you know, I enjoy both aspects of that. I don't, I don't enjoy one more than the other. I enjoy being able to um, learn and also be the educator. It's, 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 it's a lot of fun. So gentle listeners, if you feel inspired and you're not currently a member of ESA, Go to our website at eventsafetyalliance.org and sign up. It's only $25. Uh, if you want to send me an email, my email address is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. I would love to hear from you. Kurt, thank you so much for joining me today and helping um, everyone learn a little bit about you and what, what you do and, and how uh, what your role is in, in keeping people safe at events. I am very grateful. Thank you for having me. Stay safe, everybody.